In this podcast, we want to talk about the interwar years between 1919 and 1939, which was a kind of ceasefire in the middle of this second 30 years war that we described in the overview podcast. There were two developments during this period that were extremely significant. One was the crisis of democracy, the crisis of the democratic nation states, and the rise of fascism, which was an enemy of democracy. Hanging over this whole period was the shadow of the First World War. The First World War created massive instability, social instability. Nations were riven by revolution. Nations had to deal with recession and depression. There was personal unrest and alienation because the war had upset the idealism that had driven much of the 19th century. The mood of Europeans and many Americans after the Great War was very, very cynical. And one of the things that arose in the First World War was was the idea of appeasement. Now, appeasement is the policy of pacifying or conciliating or buying off an aggressor through concessions, usually at the sacrifice of principles. And what this means in practice is that the democratic states, in order to try to avoid another world war, gave in to the demands of strong men and dictators like Mussolini and Hitler and allowed them to expand at the expense of other nation states. It was the democratic states that did the throwing hurling their friends, like Czechoslovakia, to the wolves, Germany and Italy, out of guilt for the Treaty of Versailles and fear of another world war. Now, the Treaty of Versailles in 1919 had supposedly ended the First World War, but it contained so many seeds of trouble in the post-war years that it actually paved the way for World War II. In the Treaty of Versailles in 1919, Germany was forced to admit war guilt. Germany was forced to sign a blank check for reparations, that is, payments because they had lost the war. And of course, remember that Germany was not responsible for the First World War, but the winners saddled Germany with war guilt, And that was not going to play well with the German people in the years between the world wars. The reparations bill was impossibly high to pay, $33 billion, and it was a recipe for post-war economic crisis in Germany. Germany's army was also capped at 100,000 as a result of the Treaty of Versailles, and that was humiliating. Germany was forbidden from having an air force, Parts of Germany were sundered from the rest of Germany, that is, stolen from the rest of Germany. Some parts of Germany were cut off from the rest of Germany by the new Polish corridor created at Versailles. And the new German government, which was a democratic republic, was forced to sign this treaty in 1919, causing democracy, which was new anyway in Germany, to lose all credibility with the German people. The legacy of World War I was much more encroaching and broad in the 1930s than this implies. There was economic chaos in almost all of the European states in the 1920s. There were communist revolutions, strikes in Eastern Europe and Central Europe, including in Germany. 
Germany's huge reparations burden became crushing, and this led to a wild inflation in Germany, which further discredited the German democracy. Now, if we look at a broader sense, we see that in the 1920s and 1930s, the international balance of power was seriously unbalanced. Russia, like Germany, was an international outcast because it was a communist state, and it could no longer be a counterweight to Germany. Making matters worse, the United States retreated into a traditional isolationism that was dangerous now for world peace since the United States was the most powerful nation in the world. A huge power vacuum resulted that somebody was going to fill, and that somebody were the dictators Mussolini and Hitler. France, meanwhile, was suffering from a demographic disaster. Many of the young men who would have been leaders of the society, had been killed in the First World War. Many of the men who would be 18, 19, and 20 on the eve of the Second World War had never been born in the first place because their fathers had been slaughtered on the Western Front during World War I. So France did not have very many young men between the ages of 18 and 25, and this made France extremely conservative and afraid to tangle with Hitler or to contest Hitler as he went on the march. So France was a leading state in supporting appeasement, unfortunately. England also did not want a repeat of the First World War, and so England, too, was likely to support appeasement in the late 1930s, and in fact did so. The Great Depression was another factor. It turned the attention of every nation inward, energized the communists within each nation, and that in turn caused the solid middle class to gravitate to the parties of the far right and fascism as a defense against communism. So you see that the ideologies on the far right and far left were quite popular in the 1930s. Communism, as well as fascism. Let's talk about fascism, because this was a new ideology that arose in the period between the world wars. There were six features of fascism. First, fascism was anti-liberal and anti-parliamentary democracy. Fascism believed that the individual should submit to an all-powerful leader who knows what's best for the society. Second, Fascism was anti-modern. It was opposed to most trends since the Enlightenment. Not only liberalism, but also socialism and communism. It was violently anti-communist. Fourth, fascism supported something called a Volksgemeinschaft, which means folk community, and a return to a supposedly golden age, when the community supposedly nurtured the individual. And fascists believed that the Middle Ages was a kind of golden age when community nurtured the individual. Fascism was vaguely anti-capitalist. But this particular feature of fascism was more a talking point than a serious goal. In other words, fascism did not really display much concern for the nurturing of the individual. It was really anti-individual. It was really 
pro-state and anti-freedom. But the fascists did talk about the idea that they wanted a community where there were no classes and where people in the nation-state who had the ability to support the nation-state, people who shared the same language, culture, and religion, that is, would be members of a common community. Now, of course, that implied that some people would be outside the community and would be discriminated against or killed. And that was the fifth feature of fascism, was that it was violently nationalistic and romantic. The violent character of fascism is what principally sets the fascists apart from old 19th century conservatives. There are similarities between conservatism and fascism, but the violent character of fascism sets it apart from conservatism. And finally, the sixth feature of fascism is that fascists are racists and believers in superiority based on race and nationality. Now, what kind of people in Germany and Italy would be attracted to fascism and why? Well, the people who felt most aggrieved by losing the First World War, which were Italians and Germans, would be supportive of fascism. Germans certainly had lost the war and felt bitter about it. The Italians had technically been on the winning side in the war, but they felt like losers because they had never gotten the spoils of war like the French and the British had. So if we look at the society, we see that industrial workers, big businessmen, farmers, the middle class, the old aristocracy, the lower middle class, and the veterans of the First World War were all involved in the politics of the 1920s and 1930s. Now, they were not all supporters of fascism, however. Again, if we look at this group, we see that industrial workers were not attracted to fascism. They were attracted to communism. Big businessmen, though, farmers, the lower middle class, and the veterans of the First World War would all be attracted to fascism. Let me repeat that. Big businessmen, farmers, the lower middle class, and the veterans of the First World War would be attracted to this notion that fascism would restore national honor and violently gain revenge against the enemies of the nation. These were the groups that were most anti-democratic. But you notice that far-left individuals like industrial workers would not be attracted to fascism, nor would members of the middle class because they were still supporting liberalism, but they were wavering in their support. And the rise of communism in places like Germany would cause the middle class to reluctantly support the fascists. Of course, the most important fascist in the 1920s and 30s was Hitler. Hitler was actually an Austrian. We'll talk about him in a later lecture, and we'll talk about Nazi Germany at the same time. Until then, happy history musings.